Welcome to everyone this morning, whether you're here in the church building or watching this online. As we start our service today, I need to share some sad news. Um, Charles Ritchie, who's a member of Blackmount Church, sadly died very suddenly in the last week. Uh, so please remember Araminta and her, their son Paul in your prayers. And the funeral's going to be on Wednesday the 30th with plans for a, a big memorial service next year. Today is the fourth Sunday in Advent, and we will be lighting our Advent candle thinking about love. As we look at God's word, we're going to continue in our series, Love Came Down at Christmas, and particularly focus on the permanence of love. So as we prepare to focus on that, I want us to start by reading a little bit of Psalm 136. I'll read the words in the normal type, and please join me in the words in italics. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. What a great truth to be reminded of this morning. As we continue in worship, we're going to stand as we listen to our first carol, Once in Royal David City. And Anya, who thank the members of our congregation who are, who are spending time to put this music together. Uh, I'm sure you'll agree that it's beautiful. So far, we've lit our Advent candles thinking about hope, peace, and joy. And as I said, this morning we light our fourth candle thinking about love. And I want to introduce you to a friend of mine, if we could have the photograph. Um, Paul and I, Paul's the guy with the bald head, Paul and I were friends as teenagers and in the same youth group. And over the years we drifted apart, didn't really have any contact, until a couple of years ago when Paul and I got back in touch. And uh, when we went into lockdown, Paul, who lives in Kent, started to come to Bigger Kirk. And since then God has done some amazing things in his life as he has come to know Jesus Christ. And I asked Paul to tell me what love now means to him. And this is what he said. Thinking of God's love, I embrace an image of my, in my mind of the father described in the parable of the prodigal son, 15. The father rushes out with uncontained, tigger-like bouncy joy and celebration to hug to, sorry, to hug and deeply hold his returning son. And then the party began. An image of God our Father and his never-ending desire to constantly embrace us and share his cascading and tumultuous love, sometimes noisy and exuberant and sometimes still and silent, yet as piercingly powerful and never-ending, like when he became one of us a light shining in the darkness, a vulnerable newborn child, Jesus, our helper and our saviour. What a wonderful image of God's love. Thank you, Paul. Mike's now going to light the candle on behalf of Paul. And we will now hear our reading brought to us by Bill. Our reading is taken from 1 Corinthians 13, 
starting with the very end of chapter 12. And yet I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Bill. Let's pray. Lord God, we ask that you would open our eyes, our hearts, our ears, and our minds, that we would hear and see the truth of your word and put it into practice in our lives. We pray in your name. Amen. As I said at the beginning of the service, we continue in our Advent series, Love Came Down at Christmas, by looking at the final section of this famous love passage that was read to us by Bill, uh, verses, the last few verses. Two weeks ago, we looked at the necessity of love, found in verses 1 to 3. And last week, Mike talked about the character of love, found in verses 4 to 7. And today, we're going to think about the permanence of love, found on, in the last six verses of this chapter. 
Interestingly, this passage, despite being in the love chapter, only speaks about love itself at the beginning and the end of the passage. At the beginning, Paul says that love never fails, and at the end, he says love will remain. And it's a bit like a sandwich, because in the middle, he talks about things that won't remain, things that won't last. So let's look at this sandwich. Paul writes in verse 8 these very powerful words, love never fails. What a statement. But is it true? We all know of situations in marriages where people say they have fallen out of love and so they go their separate ways or of things that people do in the name of love that cause heartache and pain to others. Surely that is failure. How can Paul make such a strong statement? What does he mean? Other versions translate it by saying love never quits, never gets used up never ends, never slips or falls. And maybe Paul's choice of words were inspired by the road between Athens and Corinth, which was particularly dangerous with, with very narrow road and steep cliffs going down. And maybe that gave Paul the idea of love not falling as travellers were wont to do off that road. You get the sense from Paul that the more you love, the more you experience love, the more you'll love. And the more you love, the more you'll experience love. A bit like the two inseparable sides of the coin that we saw in that video just now. Whatever the words are at the beginning of that verse, Paul is clearly not talking about our own efforts to love in our own strength. It's God's love that never fails. And the love that we show to others as we allow God's love to flow through us. Several years ago, a young couple came to see Mike and I wanting to get married in the church. And although they'd, they'd not been churchgoers, they both talked about a deep belief in God. And as they told us their faith stories, uh, there was one that stuck out to us. And the young man talked about a story that demonstrated this love that endures. When his mother was a child, the family were very poor. His mother's father had died, and his mother's mother was struggling. And one night, just before Christmas, there was a knock at the door. And there stood the minister with a sack of coal and toys for the children. They didn't really know him. They weren't churchgoers. But he had been praying, and God had led him to show love to this family. And they were bowled over by this gift of kindness and unconditional love. And the impact of that gift went beyond that Christmas, but through the generations to inspire faith in this young couple, three generations on. Love that lasted. Let's move on to the middle of the sandwich. Paul tells us about the things that will pass away or cease in comparison to this enduring love. Let me just remind you of the context of this letter. These are going to go on and off all through the sermon, I can tell. Um, Paul is writing this letter to the church in Corinth, which is, to all intents and purposes, a very lively, active church. They give sacrificially, they demonstrated 
care to their neighbours, and they'd been blessed with spiritual gifts, the gifts of speaking in tongues and supernatural knowledge and prophecy. And these are all things that Paul commends and says are important for building the church. They're good and necessary gifts, both then and now. The problem was that the people in Corinth thought that all of this was super spiritual evidence that they had somehow made it. They were boasting and arrogant about these gifts and the things that they were doing. They looked down on others who in their eyes just didn't have it all together and were caught up in petty rivalries and disputes. So in this letter, Paul brings them down to earth with a bang. Just as at the beginning of the chapter, he has already said that these gifts and the things they do are worth nothing without love. Now he says that they won't last. The only thing that will last is love. And I think it kind of makes sense. In verses 8 and 9 we read, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When completeness comes, when Jesus comes again, When all is fulfilled, that is the sense of that word completeness, or in some versions, perfection. When Jesus comes again, we won't need the gifts of prophecy or tongues or knowledge, because all will be revealed. We won't need or desire these gifts anymore. They're going to be superfluous. We will be in the presence of perfect love. In some churches, these are the very issues that they're dealing with. And the use of the gifts of the Spirit are an important part of worship. And there's nothing wrong with that. They are gifts that can build up the church just as much today as they did for the Corinthians. But if those gifts or our practices become idols in themselves, then love takes a back seat. And that's what Paul is criticizing. In our church life, or in our personal walks of faith, these not be the, may not be the things that dominate. But might I suggest that there are other things that may have become idols and taken the place of love. Just going to church, or tuning into church, the way we worship, our prayer lives, our music, the way we care for each other as church family, our outreach into the community, our financial giving, our regularity of our own personal quiet times, our study of the Bible, or how we hear God speak into our lives and the gifts that God has given each one of us to build one another up. One another up. Don't get me wrong, all of these are good things and they're given to us by God. And they're important, vital for building up the church. But none of them will last. What is most important is love. Our understanding and realization of God's incredible, constant, as Paul described it, tumultuous, unconditional love for each of us. When that completeness or perfection comes, when all is fulfilled, when we stand in the presence of Jesus, who is love, then all the gifts and skills and knowledge and traditions will be seen for what they are, 
little pieces that can be put aside when love remains. But I guess one question might be, how do we therefore still continue with the things that Paul is saying are important for building up the church, whether that's speaking in tongues or, tongues or studying the Bible or reaching out to others or giving generously? How do we do those things but be sure that we are not doing what the Corinthians were being criticized for? How do we be sure that we're doing them in love? I think the answer is certainly not dispensing with them altogether. We need to be loving one another. We need to be doing all those things. But we need to make sure that the gifts that God has given us and our practices and our spiritual disciplines have love as their foundation and aim. And this is the key, I think, as demonstrated in the life of Jesus. How did Jesus demonstrate love as the foundation and aim of all that he did? Well, to start with, he turned religious conventions upside down. As we saw in the video, he taught that we should be humble, putting others' needs ahead of our own. He said radical things like, not just love your neighbor, but love your enemies. Love those who persecute you. Love the outcast. In practice, he sought out the lost and the least, the outcast and the leper. He was a rabbi, a respected teacher, and yet he got on his knees and he washed the feet of his disciples in love and humility. It's this kind of love that we see demonstrated in the life of Christ that should undergird everything and that will last. And this is what Paul comes back to at the other half of the sandwich in verse 13. Paul says right now, and by that he means between Christ's ascension and his coming again. So it applies to us right now because we're still in those in-between times. He says right now, these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. Last week, we looked at how faith and hope in the future help us to persevere and love in the present, especially when times are tough. But when Christ returns, when we're standing in his presence, we won't need faith and hope anymore because what we put our faith in and what we hoped for will be fully realized as we experience that perfect love face to face, Paul talks about seeing the reflection, but in, t in, in the end, we will see face to face. No longer a reflection, but in the flesh. This is what faith and hope that we need now point towards the love that will last forever. So that's the end of our passage. It's the end of the chapter. But I'd like to take a few minutes to ground it and tie it in with Christmas. This is Advent after all. Let me ask you a question. What do you think about when you think about building something that will last? If you're thinking of a building, you think of good foundations, solid structures, good materials, and an architect and builders who know what they're doing how to make the whole thing strong and durable. 
Maybe when you think about relationships lasting, you think about important things like good communication, respect for each other, and strong ties through the things that you have in common. In the time of Paul, if you asked to think, him to think, or others to think about things that last, they would have probably pointed you to the Roman Empire, which through military force, efficiency, and wealth, had conquered the known world for generations. So strength is what makes things last, right? And yet, what happened at that first Christmas? Jesus, who is love incarnate, came to earth as a vulnerable baby, fled violence as a refugee, grew up in a carpenter's home in an insignificant town, hung out as an adult with a group of outcasts and uneducated people. He rejected the powerful, strong religious establishment and was eventually crucified. None of these are signs of strength as we know it. None of these should last, surely. And yet, through the power of God's love for us, he rose from the dead, and his love endured. It turns our understanding about what will last on its head. This love, born out of apparent weakness and vulnerability, is God's love and will last forever. He has promised that nothing can separate us from this incredible love. The purpose of human existence is to receive this love from God and give it to others. And we can love with this love that will never fail by making our goal not the loving per se, but rather the receiving of God's love and pursuing Jesus, becoming more like him. The vulnerable baby, the servant king, and the one who loved us so much he gave his life for us. And as we are loved, so we love. Amen. And may God bless this, these reflections on his word to us. I read somewhere that God gives us gifts, but we decide how to use them and whether we use them to love the least and the lost, as Jesus did. We're going to listen to a Christmas song now about those that Jesus calls us to love as he was born to embrace them in his love. Feel free, if you're in church, to sit or to stand, depending on whether you need a change of position or not. Let's listen, not to O Come All Ye Faithful, but rather to O Come All Ye Unfaithful. I'm going to read the last few verses of Psalm 136. He remembered us in our low estate. His love endures forever. And freed us from our enemies. His love endures forever. He gives food to every creature. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His love endures forever. Heavenly Father, we pray for our world. 
Father, have mercy on all whose lives have been torn apart by war and violence. Those who have fled their homes. Those who are separated from loved ones with no idea of whether they are dead or alive. Those who are hungry. Those who have been abused. Those who are unjustly imprisoned. Those who grieve. We particularly pray for all who suffer in Palestine today. May they know the love of Jesus, born there 2,000 years ago. May they experience your love that endures forever. We pray for all who are affected by COVID in countries where there is not the medical care or the financial support to help people. We ask that leaders across the world would have mercy and make decisions that benefit the least and the lost. We pray especially for equity in the distribution of the vaccine. We bring you before you now the people of Yemen, Pakistan, Brazil and India. May they know your healing presence, comfort and provision in their need. And may they experience your love that endures forever. We pray for our own country and community in the grips of this pandemic. We thank you for the miracle of the vaccine and pray for those distributing it. Give leaders wisdom about decisions they make. Give us all wisdom about decisions we personally make. We pray for those who are disappointed and upset about recent changes of the rules. Give them your peace, Lord. Lord, we lift before you the many who are sick right now. May they know your healing touch. We pray for all those for whom this Christmas will be one of grief and loss. Comfort them, we pray. We pray for those working in our health services who are exhausted and fearful. Give them strength and signs of hope. We pray for those who are experiencing financial hardship, collapse of businesses or redundancy. Meet their needs, O Lord. And we ask that all of these experience your love that endures. Finally, we bring before you the people in our own hearts. We pray for those who are known to us, who are sick in body, mind or spirit. In silence, we bring them before you now. We pray for those who grieve, thinking particularly of Araminta and Paul and others known to us. In the silence, we bring them before you now. We 
We pray for all who are lonely and afraid, and in the silence we bring them before you now. May they and we know your love, which endures forever. Amen.